Are you living the crazy life of a sports parent? This is Sports Parenthood, the podcast packed with cool conversations with sports people, coaches and professionals for rookie sports parents just like you. You'll hear nuggets of gold in every episode with your hosts, fellow sports parents, John and Tiffany Bonacera. You know, we have these expectations on our children in terms of, well, you need to self-regulate and get off your phones and all these sorts of things that we as parents say. And I say that having mm. been a parent who said those things Yeah, we myself. do too, yes. And then I pick up my mm-hmm. phone. I'm going to put my hand up and say I spend way too much time on my phone. There's the WhatsApp groups, work emails, school emails, and mindless scrolling. You're in the same boat, John. Yes, Tiffany, I am. You're terrible. I am. Uh, the players at work actually did a bit of a play at our recent camp, and they depicted me as walking along looking mm. at my phone, and it, it struck a chord Shameful. for me. Even so, we're also guilty of telling the kids to get off their devices. We Often are. cranky, they haven't been able to self-regulate their own online behaviour. If this sounds like you too... You'll definitely want to hear more from sports psychologist and author of In the Grandstands, Dr. Joe Lukens, in this week's episode of Sports Parenthood, because digital distraction is a hot topic in most households. One of our listeners reached out to us about her dilemma with digital distraction. In her email, she wrote, My sons, especially the older one, gets that buzz from the instant gratification of screen time interactions. How do we compete with that? So... We set out to find some answers from the perspective of sports parents, discussing the push-pull of keeping kids active and engaged in sport when there's an electronic drug and time waster in the equation. How can we realistically navigate device use? What are the impacts, even the benefits, including ways digital technology can actually help with sports performance? We spoke with Dr. Joe in episode 13 of the podcast. Scroll back in your feed if you haven't listened to that one. It's a great one. She's agreed to join us again in the final episode of this series, starting with the Jar of Rock story. It's an analogy that's been around for a really long time, like so so long in fact that I remember demonstrating this to students before the days of YouTube, which probably dates me a little bit. Um, but, but essentially, it's the message, if you can imagine as you're listening, that I've got a big glass jar and and the idea is that then I bring in some big rocks and place them into the glass jar and then you, you turn to those who are looking at it and say, is this full? And usually people will say, yes, that's full. You know, you filled it up to the top with rocks and, and then you bring out a bag of gravel and you tip it into the jar and fit it in around the rocks and then you say is it full and people go okay yes now it's full (laughs) and then you bring out some sand and of course you can pour it in and it fills in between the gravel and in between the rocks and then you ask the audience you know is this full and they kind of by now they're looking at you a little bit skeptically and going (laughs) uh yes and then and then finally and this is what used to make the task particularly messy when I used to do it in lectures (laughs) is then you get out a pitcher of water and you tip that in and then you talk about now is it full? And and what I like to do with that exercise is then to say to people, well, what are the life lessons that we can take from this? You know, and if you think about all the elements that went into the jar, how would it go if we'd put them in in a different order? You know, so if you put the sand in first, mm-hmm. and then people go, oh no, well it won't all fit in, and then and then you get people to reflect on 
so what's the life lesson with this? And, and, and hopefully where people get to is the idea that you have to prioritise. Close the rocks. And place the big rocks in first and then fit the other things that are in around it because otherwise, you know, one of the challenges with our big rocks is they're often things that are really important to us but they don't necessarily have an immediate deadline. So I was, I've just been talking to someone about doing, they're doing some study and, and they were working out how they were going to do it. And, and the time frame for that is in like three years' time. So it's very easy today to do nothing on that particular project because it's mm. not due now. So I think sometimes for some of us to think about there are different uh, demands on us and priorities within our lives that I guess could be symbolised by the rocks, the gravel, the sand, the water, and just to be mindful of, as to where those priorities sit because if we if we don't pay attention to the big rocks then you know we fill our time with sand and water and and we don't get those things done so it's it's it it is a juggle i think is probably the mm-hmm. best way to describe it but to be mindful about what is important to us and how we can make sure that there's some priority for for that for us in our lives probably something that is in modern society is the use or overuse of digital devices. And, and maybe they can be, with, are they a sand? A gra- a, could they be viewed as that? I don't know. Well, the, I think some people, perhaps. View, well, they don't view them as rocks, but they certainly use them as rocks. Mm. But this is where it comes from. Um, yeah. And that's why it's, um, it's such an important discussion today because they're the cause of conflict in many families. Um, ours too. You've referred to it as an electronic drug. Uh, what impact do digital devices have on not only athletes but also on families together? Yeah, it's such a great question and such a great topic and I think that's one of the challenges for us now is that we're now living with generations who are dealing with this all of the time and, of course, Mm. for some of the parents, it won't be all of the parents listening, but I know for me as a parent I didn't grow up with a digital device No, Um, and so the landscape has changed and and that has changed an important element within our families and for parents as well. It has. And, and I guess it's a challenge, isn't it, because I, I do refer to it as the electronic drug and, and, and you, that's a, I think that's a good description of it. They're great. Mobile phones are amazing. You know, what we can do with technology and when we use them as a tool, we can really enhance our lives. But I think it's, it's such an incredible asset for us that when we don't, treat it in a mindful way, it can really work against us. So, you know, to flick through your phone and maybe look through some social media or something like that as an app to decompress from your day and to kind of do something mindless, that could actually be helpful at the moment Mm -hmm. when you're feeling a bit distracted and overwhelmed. The challenge is then when the minutes turn into hours, you know, and that's one of the conversations I often have is people lose track of time. And, of Mm. course, many of the social media apps are designed to keep you on. Mm, You know, mm. there's all that clickbait, there's all those sorts of things. So if we don't pay attention to how we use any resource, then we actually hand over all our control. And I think that's one of the challenges with it is it then controls us. And, um, you know, we talked a long time ago about the role of habits within Mm. people's lives. If people stopped, even as we're talking now, and just reflected a little bit on what are my habits around technology and social media for me and within my family you know there's times for all of us when perhaps we're not using it in a way that that is working for us yes 100% agree 
So if we're talking specifically about, say, adolescent athletes and and they're sort of dealing with all of those rocks, grains of sand and so forth, where does that kind of fit in with them, do you think? With with the phones particularly? Yeah, with the devices and, and how to, you know, what sort of thought process, mindset and even what we should be kind of saying to them around that. That's right because the expectations have certainly changed and even and and all schools are different but there's many many schools now that use the digital technology yeah in the classroom as well so they're getting you know their their appetite of digital information is just huge and and we know that that has an impact in terms of learning and how children read and how they consume information and of course there's one thing to be looking at a textbook online but then many of the other things we're taking, it's small snippets of information. Mm. So even our ability to, uh, I'm going to word it this way, to persevere with a piece of text, you know, so if you think about much of what we do, we f- we literally can be reading on our screens, I'm th- talking about the adults here, and scrolling and moving our finger at the same time. Like our attention to detail is mm-hmm. shortening. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so... You know, we have these expectations on our children in terms of, well, you need to self-regulate and get off your phones and all these sorts of things that we as parents say. And I say that having mm. been a parent who said those things yeah, we myself. Do too, yes. And then I pick up my phone. Mm-hmm. And so I guess I had to have a little conversation with myself a while ago when I realised that I, just my personal circumstances is that I pick my children up from school and I kind of wait near where their bus stop is. And I actually use that 10 minutes that I get there early to answer some emails, maybe put a social media post up for work. So genuinely Mm work-related. But what I'm doing is completely irrelevant because what I realised was happening is the first thing that my children would see as they stepped out of Mm -hmm. school was the top of of my head. Mm. They'd see the top of my head because my face was facing a screen. And at some point I realised that and went, yeah, you know what, for me that's not Mm. cool. So what I did was I went as much as I could use that 10 minutes productively or I kind of what I did was I – I would use it maybe for seven (laughs) minutes and then as soon as I heard the bell, I would put the phone away in my bag. So it made sure that as I stepped out of the gate, the first thing they saw was me smiling Mm. at them. And, you know, that works for me and other parents might do it differently. But I think what happens is we often don't pay attention to our own behaviours around these sorts of things. So then once again, I'm going to come back to that same theme, we hand the control over to the device. And I just don't think as parents, and I have, my eldest child has just finished grade 12 last year. So, you know, if we want to be talking to our children about self-regulating and self-discipline and don't be on your Instagram when you should be reading your physics textbook and all the rest of it, we're really in no position to do that unless we are showing some self-restraint around these things ourselves as well. To do as I say, not as I do. Mm, sadly. Mm, it's true. <laughs> it's totally true. It's I agree. 100% it is. It's not, and it's not always easy and I get that too. It's, t- it's tough for parents trying to balance all of these things but you know there's some merit in us thinking about it and thinking about our own and then I guess just finding our own path that's going to work for us. Off the back of that and we talked about the distraction and perhaps a a little bit of um, uh, our inability now to persevere with things that are a a bit difficult in terms of text through our use of device. One of the other I guess um, impacts um, on, on device use is being a sleep disruptor and from you know reading in your book teens themselves have identified that that is actually the case so they know that it can be a sleep disruptor we'd love Mm. you to explain exactly why this is a problem and perhaps how we can alleviate yeah 
It's interesting, you know, in every workshop I've run this year, I've made a point somehow along the way to weave into the conversation of asking people, and this has been from 15-year-olds through to people who are much older, about Mm -hmm. quality of sleep. You know, I say to people, how well do you typically sleep? Do you feel like you most nights get a good night's sleep or not? And overwhelmingly what I'm seeing and hearing from people is people saying, no, my sleep is Mm -hmm. disrupted. I'm either not getting enough sleep, I'm not getting quality of sleep, I'm waking in the middle of the night and I'm worrying about things. And this is whether it be teenagers Mm. or through, Mm -hmm. you know, to adults. So we know that most of our population is wandering around (laughs) with some level of sleep deprivation, unfortunately. And we know that, you know, for us when it comes to making decisions through our day, decision Mm -hmm. fatigue and physical fatigue are things that then lead to us maybe not making the choices that are helpful for us through the course of our day and, and, you know, all of these things that we do. And we certainly know for athletes how beneficial sleep is for us. And and I, I often refer to it to, to young athletes as, you know, think of it as a performance mm-hmm. enhancer. So we know that that's, that's a challenge for them and, and, and for us. And so thinking about habits around sleep is, is a really good place to start because there's certainly some of our behaviours and our actions contribute to whether we have a good night's sleep or we don't. And there's been some really interesting research in that area um, showing the impacts that it has for, for, for teens and for adults when, when, we ha- when we are sleep deprived. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, so the, I mean, there's been a number of studies, but one of the ones that I, I was particularly interested in looked at the relationship between sleep and injury Ah. and this was some research that was was conducted with teenage athletes and showed that for those athletes who averaged under seven hours sleep a night um, it increased their risk of injury over the next 21 months by by up to about 70 percent that's huge and so uh, yeah not a small number no no enough that it it i say that in a room and eyes sort of open up and you know suddenly the teenager that wasn't listening to you is suddenly listening to you and i say to them and This is exactly how I say it. I say, okay, so, you know, there's a whole range of things that you can do to help enhance your performance, but let's start with the foundations first. If you want to increase your performance and if you want to reduce your risk of injury, one of the best things that you can do is go to bed. (laughs) And then I kind of look at them and they look at me and I go, go to bed. And then I say to them, who do I sound like? And they'll look at me and they'll go, oh, you sound like my mom (laughs) or you sound like my dad. And I go, I said, I know. And I said, it gets worse because they're right, <laughs> that, you know, <laughs> which is always right, a horrible realisation. No. It's good for us, though, because we go like, we're right, you know. <laughs> that's that's right. And so then the challenge comes. So if we're right and we know that, what mm. are we doing? You know, so so if we are, and, and, you know, at the end of the day, and endings are always much harder than beginnings. So end of the day, end of the week, end of the school term, end of the financial year, whatever, you know, end of, you know, towards the Christmas break, those sorts of things. Because we're fatigued, it's mm. harder to make the decisions that are better for us. So, you know, I, I talk to adults, I talk to parents and say, I know, I get it. It's easier to watch another episode of whatever on Netflix than it is to get up, turn off the lights and lock mm. up the house. Like it's, we tend to defer to the easy options. And that's, again, I'm going to say. A device because they encourage you to keep watching yeah, absolutely, and 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 then we have the physiological effects, of course, mm, of the blue mm. light. So you know, and I know we can have the blue light reductions and all those sorts of things, but I don't think we fully appreciate yet. And I know there's lots of research conducted in this area, and and I haven't seen anything that's sort of 
conclusive around it, but we know we need to get off our device a decent chunk of time. And I know that's not very scientific <laughs> or, or specific, but a decent chunk of time before we try and go to sleep. Uh-huh. Because it's not only the physiological effects of looking at the screens, but it's the psychological effects because, you know, it's one thing to be, I don't know, reading news stories on your phone before you go to bed. Maybe that keeps you awake or maybe it doesn't. But our teenagers aren't no. reading news stories. They're interacting with their friends. They're um, TikToking. They're TikToking. They're Snapchatting. They're Snapchatting. They're having relationship breakups. Mm. They're getting bullied. Mm. They're, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the generation mm. that, I remember where the only way to stay in contact with your friends after school was to get onto the phone before your sibling did and, you know, stretch the cord out around the corner so your parents couldn't hear your conversations and then you get your – it's totally different. Or ride your bike around to their place. Yeah, there's no break. There's no yep. there's no break from that social interaction and, and we mm, need that. Mm. For the parents of younger athletes, Joe, do you have any suggestions for managing the pull of using a device like – I guess where we're com- using a device ahead of choosing to be active. Well, yeah, and this is probably uh, where the listener question really came in. I feel like uh, the the listener had younger children, and it was about that mm. having that conversation of, you know, how do you, break how that do you, you know, they're, they're on their cycle. device, they're enjoying whatever they're doing. You know, we we, we, let's, we want them to choose to go out into the backyard and you know practice soccer or throw the or basketball around or, or do handstands or whatever it is that kind yeah, of thing. Of so mm. of course, and we would love it if our kids would spontaneously put down the phone and go outside yes. and do it. And, and I know there are some children who will, mm. and I think that probably most children wouldn't. And so. So I think for parents, what I would suggest is setting some expectations around that, like having a mm-hmm. conversation, even if they're five or six, if they're old enough to be playing on the phones and so forth, they're probably old. Oh, I say that, but then two-year-olds oh, are quite no. capable of them as well. But That's anyway, incredible. But I, I do think setting some family expectations around, look, we get that having some phone time, having some chill-out time is part of maybe what we do, but we, what we also need to do is we need to enjoy mm-hmm. the fresh air, get outside and so forth. And so I can remember... With my son one time, he was wanting to, I don't know, watch something, some sport or something. I think we wanted to watch on TV. And I said, that's great and you can watch it. What I want you to do first is I want you to go outside and shoot 20 baskets. And I said, don't shoot them. Like I actually want you to score 20 20 points. So he went out. He went, all right, okay. I said, off you go. And I took the, we put the phone away. And then, you know, that should have taken him, I don't know, five or ten minutes. He was Mm, out there for half an mm. hour. So yeah. you know what it's like is that when you break that cycle, when you get outside, when you get the fresh air and then all of a sudden, you know, the ball might go under a tree and then you go, actually, while well, I'm here, I might mm-hmm. climb this tree yep. like yep. kids do. So I, th- I think it's a combination of appreciating that if it's hard enough for us to get off our devices, then if you're 12 or if you're 8, that's much harder to do as well. And so setting some rules and expectations around that is going to be incredibly mm. important. And then it might even be saying, look, you can do that later. For now, between four and five, it's you know, yep. or, or whatever time it is. This is this is a no yep. phone zone. So we all put our mm. phones away, and you know, and whether it's you know really fun stuff like hanging out, washing, and all that sort of stuff that the kids can pitch in and help with. Well, as that's well. another conversation. Getting isn't outside, it, Joe, about engaging <laughs> them in doing yeah. that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Housework, yeah, that's right, that's right. Then you do have to bring out the bribery <laughs> tools, don't you? Um, but but I I do think that that's that waiting for children to self-regulate around some of this stuff will be waiting okay. a long time. So sometimes 
we need to set that up. But I think the expectations is what becomes important because mm. it's tricky too. I know that when when they're two or three and you just want to have that cup of coffee yep. at the shopping without you know at without the, having at the coffee someone shop kind of whatever. interrupt constantly. Yeah. Absolutely, and they mm-hmm. get handed a device and all those. And I get that. I get that. I guess what we just need to be mindful of is what we're creating going forward. Yeah, what we're creating and 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 where the boundaries are. And sometimes I've had parents say to me, "But then they, you know, they get so upset." Mm. And they and I go, "Yeah, they do. They do. That's right. Mm-hmm. They get upset. And you know what? They'll survive. You know, it's almost like we, for some, it's struggling with the kids and their reaction the to it. The kids yeah, and the children. It's true. Yeah, and and. And I can remember a long time ago because it was before my children had had to be on devices at school. So they were quite young primary school. And I remember that we decided as a family we were not going to have the television mm-hmm. on in the mornings mm-hmm. before school because they would get trapped watching. It was only the news. It wasn't cartoons or anything. And so we decided that we would be a TV-free mm-hmm. family before school. And I th- think we ended up extending it. From Sunday night till Friday afternoon. Wow, impressive. <laughs> so, anyway, it feel, yeah, it, it's not that now. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it was a little phase we went through as a family, and honestly, that first two weeks, it was the withdrawal that my yeah. children felt, the resistance, the arguments, the discussions that we had were mm. awful, and we stuck to our guns and we pushed through. And then, and look, it probably mm. took two weeks. Like it was, it was horrible, and then. All of a sudden, my bored children after breakfast yeah. would go and practice a musical mm. instrument or read a book or go and shoot a basketball mm-hmm. or doing all these yeah. just things that you do to amuse yourself. And and that worked really well for us. And that was particularly in that mm. younger primary school age where I'm not sure of the age of the children. I, I, I suspect it was around that age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Where it's not about, you know, you have to go and practice mm. for your sport or whatever, but you just need to not be inside sitting on a device. And that worked really well for us, setting some rules around the TV. So we we would do the, no, the news is not on while we're eating dinner and those sorts of things. We, we're going to sit as a family at the table and that's not doable for every family. So mm. you've just got to find what sits comfortably. What I would say to any parents who are going to take on the challenge, though, is, you it's know. It's not easy. You've got to take, take it yourself a deep breath. Too. Yeah. And it will, and the, you know, the other thing happens is when you change mm. habits and behaviors in a household, is it gets worse before it gets better. Yep. And if you know that, it's a bit like anyone who's gone through the whole getting children sleeping and all those sorts of things as well. You know, it often gets worse before it gets better, but mm. it will get better. So that pushing through is worth trying because then the long term consequences are much better for us. And you just got to stick to it. And, and look, that obviously that takes us all the way back to our first chat with you about the formation of habits. Mm. And, your uh when and then mm-hmm. and yes and th- that's that's not dissimilar is it when we're when we wake up in the morning we're not on devices yeah that's mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. that's right mm-hmm. so 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 what are we doing instead and i think also having a little bit of structure and organization around it so maybe there's a charging station in the house i, I mean i don't know charging yep. is changing as we speak but you know we have one we um, have a communal set up there yeah, we redid our kitchen about 18 months ago and one of the things that was recommended to us that we did is our charging station sits in a drawer yep. and the cables actually go in through the back of the drawer. So They're out of sight. Literally put in, out of sight. Mm-hmm. And there's some good research about how much a digital device will distract you just by its mere presence. Mm, interesting. So if it's, if it's sitting on, you know, if you say, say you're working at a computer and you're sitting at a desk and you're working and your mobile phone, even if it's switched off, is just sitting next to your 
keypad somewhere, your keyboard, it's almost like pull it's, to pick it know, up. saying, Tiffany, Tiffany, <laughs> you know what it's, it's saying? It's out. saying, John, yeah. John, because John is the one Joe. that's going to have to do some self reflection. Yeah, John, <laughs> John, I've got so much interesting stuff for you to see. Come and look at me. And, and what happens is so, so, so this research was really fascinating. So it compared the difference in terms of distractibility, where it's if it's just sitting right next to your keyboard, mm-hmm. and then let's imagine you've got a backpack or a bag with you and you've brought that to work. If you pop the phone into the bag, what difference does that make? Because it's much less visible. Mm-hmm. But then if you can even go, and this is a radical idea, I know, <laughs> and I know, and I know what I'm about to suggest wouldn't work for a lot of people, but if you left it in the boot of your car mm-hmm. or, you, you know, if you left it in a locker at work or so I'm working at home today, so if I went and put my phone in the kitchen, my ability to get into deeper concentration will be so much quicker mm-hmm. because my – my electronic drug isn't isn't present for me because we know that when people are distracted at work, you know, it can take, I mean, it varies some of the studies, but it's anywhere between about 8 and 15 minutes to get back into that mm. deep concentration. Okay. And typically, and again, these figures are rough, but typically people get interrupted about 11 times an hour. Mm. So you're never getting into depth. Yeah. So if it takes 8 to 15 minutes to get back to concentration and you're getting interrupted 11 oh, times wow. an hour... Then We're very unproductive. Work- we <laughs> yeah. are. Yeah. Most of our workforce is not in deep concentration yeah. as we're doing things. So our phones are one of those things that, you know, depends on your job, depends what you do, depends on your life. But if there is any scope to not be on it or not to have it visible or distracting, and this, see, we've moved our conversation again away from the children because we set the tone as parents. Mm. So what we're doing is so important to what we can then mm ask of them yeah that's so true it's a role modeling sort of scenario the thing that we have learned most from doing this podcast yes mm. is it's not about what the children are doing mm. it's yeah. about what you're doing to help shape those behaviors mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. absolutely children are sponges. so we've got some work to do oh yeah <laughs> do you know what it's been funny that... Jeez, i've found some flaws in myself <laughs> But do, you, but do you know what's so great about that, uh, the point that you make? We've all got some work to do, yeah. you know. It's so, so I think too that what we can sometimes go into these conversations and, you know, today we're talking about the phones. Mm-hmm. We could be talking about nutrition. Mm-hmm. We could be talking about, sleep. you know, sleep, any of those yeah. sorts of things. And we all go, oh, gosh, I need to change this, this, this and this. Mm-hmm. So when we, I think one of the things that's helpful at this point in time, particularly for those of us who are parents, is to think about ourselves as a work in progress. Mm-hmm. You know, and that be kinder to the, ourselves. Yeah, do the best we can and understand that we're doing that. And yes, there's room for growth, but certainly we don't want to try and change everything at once because our yeah, heads will whoa. explode. You know, that's yeah. that's just not going to work. So, so it's about maybe picking out one or two things. Maybe pick out something in relation to your. Yeah, I don't know. I'm talking about parents now, so something to relate into nutrition. Maybe there's something you could change about your bed routine, mm-hmm. something you change about your phone, pick one little thing out for each of those. That's plenty mm-hmm. to be working on, mm-hmm. you know. So and then, you know, make some changes, see what works, see what doesn't work and then move to the next thing. But it's I, I think sometimes we do a, the, the one word I'm not a fan on is should. Mm-hmm. You know, I should be doing this, I should be doing that because what happens is we typically don't mm-hmm. and then we feel guilty mm-hmm. and then and then we self-sabotage. Mm-hmm. So I, I just think we want to do the best we can when we can mm-hmm. And be kind to ourselves, and 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 understand that we've all got some uh, 
potential for growth. Yes, that's a good way to put it. Speaking of those kind of language and terminology, you mentioned mm. uh, the word should and perhaps we shouldn't be using it. One of those other words is probably busy. Mm. I have tried to change your view of the busy. I was sick of hearing John say busy, busy. I said, John, you've got to refer to it as my life is full. But love to hear uh, you tell us about the importance of not using the word busy and particularly around, I guess, um, coming back to adolescent athletes and I guess the role we play in that as well. So busy is an interesting word, isn't it, that that we use and and we do know that schedules are full. Full. Lots lots of ways. Well, it's interesting because someone actually said that to me the other day because they knew I've got a couple of projects going at the moment and they looked at me and they said, Oh, Joe, and you must be so busy. And it was interesting as they said that to me, I was mindful enough to kind of hear it. And the societal expectation around being busy, it's almost like there's a badge of honor that goes with it that that kind of, oh, yes, I'm busy. Am I busier than you? You know, Mm. like like there's a prize to win for it or or whatever. Mm. And what was interesting is the person said, oh, you must be really, really busy. And I said, no, I'm not busy actually. And they kind of looked at me like, "That's weird." Know, but they didn't know how to work <laughs> yeah. with it. And I said, "I've got plenty of projects that I'm working on at the moment. Really enjoying what I'm doing." I love and I thought, that. I'm just going to leave it there and see see what's happening. See see how. And the, you could see the person kind of looked at me like twitching. Oh, oh that's, I wasn't yeah, expecting like that. And and I don't know about you. I, I find where even the the word, the way it sounds to me, if if, if you said, you know, I'm busy, busy, busy. That puts my blood pressure up to mm-hmm, start with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's almost this kind of, I I don't know. For me, it's I don't find it a helpful phrase to get, like I don't mm. say that I'm busy and it makes me feel good. Mm. And mm. I think it kind of speeds up the pace of life as well. Mm-hmm. I think I do think we need to be mindful, obviously, about what we take on mm-hmm. and, 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 and at times what's imposed upon us. You know, I know it's not always necessarily of our choosing. That's the hard bit. I, I yeah, definitely. It, look at it. It is, and I guess you could tie the the sense of busyness around the, the rocks, yep. the gravels, mm-hmm. the sand, the water. You know, and it's you know we often do say you know I'm busy because I have to do this, mm. and this fits into that we've talked before about the the importance of gratitude. I, and I've just said to a group I was working with this morning, I said, "Tell me all the things you have to do," and this is a group of adults, so they said, "Oh." I have to shave. I have to get the kids sorted in the morning for work for school. I have to go to work. You know these kinds of things. And I said to them, I challenged them and said, "What if we change the phrasing on this and mm. change it from have to to get to? Mm-hmm. I get to shave. I get to go to work. I get to take the kids mm. to school. You know, and instantly by changing the language, mm. we we open up it, it some appreciation and some gratitude. Sound yeah. better. It does. I know. And and. Why wouldn't we aim towards gratitude? Because gratitude ticks two boxes for us. That gratitude really helps us in terms of happiness and well-being. So we know, you know, one of the biggest sources of improving happiness is to be grateful for the things that we have. So the feel-good factor is it's worth doing it in and of itself. The interesting thing, though, that we see for athletes is that there's there's some data coming through now that's supporting that gratitude helps to enhance performance. Okay. And, and so, you know, it's as simple as saying the difference between, you know, I have to go to training. Mm. Well, no, you don't. You don't have to it's have your to choice, do anything. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So and and what if we thought about it as I get to go, get to, training. To, go to training. You know, the group I spoke to this morning, and this was in an employment setting, I said, What's the difference between 
I have to go to work versus I get to go to work? Because do you think in the current climate there'd be some people who would do anything to be going to work right now? Indeed, and they there are. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, and I do that as a parent. I, I realised I, I caught myself saying I have to go and pick the kids up from school. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a blessing. Mm. So I get to pick the kids up from school because you know why? Because I'm doing it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Rega- regardless of how I phrase it, I'm going yeah, to get the kids from going school. into my car yeah. and I'm driving there. So yeah. why not look at it through the lens of gratitude that mm. I'm about to go and pick up two of my favorite humans? Um, you know, so why wouldn't I, why wouldn't I want to do mm. that? And w- what we see is, and the mechanisms behind that are still being really, you know, thought through. One of the things I think, one of the ways I conceptualize it or when I talk to athletes and I've, I've talked to teams about this and adult teams about this is I think what happens when we're grateful is we're not whinging mm. and because I don't know if you've ever met a grateful whinger. I don't think I have. <laughs> and, 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 and if you think about whinging, you know, whinging, oh, it's hot and I yep. can't believe we have to do this drill. I hate this uh-huh. drill. And, that would you be know, John I, this morning actually, Joe, when we went out to train <laughs> together. Are you thinking Except it wasn't hot, Joe. <laughs> it was, no, it wasn't even hot here in Townsville this morning either. It was, it was, I think it was sub 10. It was amazing. Oh, wow. It's a, it it's is a, low for you guys. Yeah. And, and so there's a good example. I've heard people today whinge about how cold it is oh, in yeah. North Queensland and I'm like, really? Because yeah. come December you're not going to be saying this. You know, I get, to, I get to go cold. for a run. It's hot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, so I think that's something for all of us to Definitely. think about. And I was working with a group of elite athletes on this one not so long ago where I said, you know, gratitude can be about keeping a journal and reflecting mm-hmm. on things you're grateful and, and and there's good evidence for all of that sort of stuff but gratitude can also just be just don't whinge yeah you know? yeah and 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 one of them had someone had been talking about the training facilities or something like that and they, they were complaining about it and one of the other players let's just say they said to them to stop um let's go with that mm, yeah um <laughs> We won't use any in a other less language. polite way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, there wasn't quite. I'm not quite phrasing it exactly as it was said. <laughs> but but what we know what we know from that is that to stop someone from complaining when it's you know when it's that when it's a whinge is is to recognise the you know because you get to train somewhere so yep. you know there'd be people that don't get to do that mm-hmm. so I think that when we can step off the complain train and and just go look. And because often complaining is just, yeah, it's filling up filling up the space with words, really. Mm-hmm. Because usually it's not very often that complaining leads to change. And even if you do want to get change, you can find other ways to do it without and, whinging. And or is ever helpful. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's right. You know. Helpful. So if so, no, if something's not working, then articulate what it is and and how you can help move towards change. I just think that when we can do that and we can see the potential for gratitude in that space. It makes it more pleasant for us, more pleasant for the people around us. But importantly for athletes, it's it's there's some suggestions there. It's going to help enhance your performance. Mm-hmm. So there's a you know, get some sleep, be grateful. All those sorts of things are, are things that we can do, we control, and and they can have great benefits for us. Speaking of which, do you have any tips to help younger athletes or adolescents perhaps understand or even be able to identify their value system and and timing of because we, I know that you mentioned that you know, for example, an elite athlete, you know, they, there is different timing involved in in terms of when they will probably reach their potential. So it's kind of mm. around that, really. We get so much variability, of don't course, we, in, ter- in, ter- in terms of athletes and the sports that they're in. So in in some sports, you know, you're 
you're nearing retirement at 20 and in other sports you're not even reaching your prime until until you're much Mm -hmm. older. So we do get a lot of that variability. And I think that one of the things that can be really helpful for athletes is to, like you say, understand a little bit about what your values are and, and knowing why we're doing the things that we're doing, understanding what we're passionate about, understanding, you know, what are the things that, that bring us that sense of, of pride in what, what it is that we're doing. Yes. And I think that what can be helpful for us then is to try and tie that into the meaning. So for ex- what I'm trying to say here is, so for the athlete who gets up and doesn't feel like eating breakfast, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, that's that's quite a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, battle with that whole notion of breakfast in the morning and I know people there's people that skip it and all mm. those sorts of things but if but if the decision's made and I'm not a dietitian or nutritionist so mm-hmm. don't take my advice on this but my understanding is, is that breakfast is important mm-hmm. and ideally we're eating it so I think that's a pretty mm-hmm. safe assumption for most mm-hmm. of us so even if I don't feel like eating breakfast understanding that it's part of the pathway to success mm-hmm. and that Eating breakfast this morning might mean that when I mm-hmm. get to my game this afternoon, I'm going to be better fueled. Definitely. So I think making those links mm-hmm. are really important. Mm-hmm. And and I sometimes use the analogy that, you know, life's a little bit like a garden and, and what you look after and what you water and what you care for are the things that grow. And then, you know, we're not often not surprised when we ignore bits that they mm. die, that they they don't do so well, and and I know that particularly here in North Queensland. You know, if we, we I could use that analogy with the kids. You know, what happens if we don't water mm. the front lawn? Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be brown and horrible mm-hmm. in a very short period of time. So mm-hmm. we're kind of a little bit like that ourselves. Yep. If we don't look after our sleep, say, and we have lots and lots of late nights, then expect that that's going to have an impact on mm-hmm. the rest of the garden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're mm. going to be looking a bit brown and injury. Yeah, mm. <laughs> yeah, that's True. Right. a bit brittle. <laughs> Just coming back to device use and, you know, we've talked about, I guess, um, some of the things uh, and let's negative perhaps impacts. We have it. Yep, it's true. And I, I did think you flagged some earlier, but what are the benefits in your view? Yeah, look, I mean, I think the, the devices and the apps and the technology that we have now is very helpful for us in terms of what we do. So any any athletes who particularly go off I mean one of the things that data provides us yes. is the opportunity for well data but feedback, feedback. so yeah. you know that definitely massive the the triathletes who are you know if if your Garmin doesn't work then did it really happen yeah. you know it's that it's that kind yeah. of it's yeah. that kind of acknowledgement so we we know there's lots of benefits for us in terms of using technology and that's that's the whole point of it isn't mm-hmm. it it's not about saying don't use mm-hmm. it but it's about understanding that it's value um it's a tool. Mm-hmm. It's yep. a tool and you can overuse our tools and underutilize mm-hmm. our tools as mm-hmm. well. So where we can find those values. And, in fact, I'm saying this a little bit vaguely because I haven't explored it for myself, but I was working with a group earlier this week and they were talking about, this is going to sound funny, well, it yeah. sounds funny to me, using their devices to not use their devices. Oh. So apparently there's some sort of, I'll speak in general terms because I don't know what the app yes. is, but there's there's an app that it has something to do with trees mm. and I think that's called yeah, anyway, I think it's called Forest. Yeah, anyway, so the I think I, our daughter has flagged I, that with us actually, yes. Yes. So my understanding of it is is that you go into your phone and you set how long it's going to be that you're not going to be on your device for, so say yep. 45 minutes, and then provided you don't go into your device, at the end of the 45 minutes you have a tree in your forest. Um, and so you are growing a forest. So it keeps all your trees, but if you, yeah, this is the bit that got me. If you go fifteen minutes into the thing and you go, no, no, I actually do want to use my phone. It says, it says, are you sure? And if you say yes, 
it kills your tree. <laughs> so brutal. <laughs> I know. And you have dead trees in your forest. Anyway, it down. the interesting thing, so this was, this was a, a late teen that was telling me about it and said there's all these people at uni who are, we, we talk about our forests all the time. So wow. the, the irony that you would use yes. your device to keep you off your device, but again, gamification mm. is something that people respond to. It's, it's feedback. It's a tool. So, you know, and, you know, we're talking about this particular app now, but there'll be something else tomorrow, I'm sure. But, you, you know, it, it says something about how humans respond in situations. And we do like, I mean, the reason we like games and sport is because, you know, it's something that appeals to us and it ticks a whole range of boxes for us in terms of motivation and achievement and a whole range of things. So no surprises mm. then that our devices play into that. Yes. And, again, do whatever you want to do. Just be mindful as to what you're doing and understand what the consequences are of it. Definitely. In closing, Joe, let's say navigating the digital landscape and sport, mm. what would be – your one piece of advice for sports parents? Yeah, my primary. Okay, so I think it's probably going to be to reiterate a message that, that's very commonly themed through all of your podcasts, mm-hmm. which is start mm-hmm. with yourself first. Look in the mirror. Look in the mirror. Um, look kindly into the mirror. Let's go with that because because I, I do think that, you know, kids can mm-hmm. smell BS from a long way. So, so. Mm. They can, they can, and they, yes, they will. they'll not say it too, won't they? Um, so I think, so I think it's really for me, it's it's about being mindful mm-hmm. as to what I'm doing when I get it mm-hmm. wrong to acknowledge it with my kids and just say, look, you know, I've just noticed I've just spent the last mm-hmm. hour mm-hmm. on on my phone mm-hmm. and I haven't been paying attention, you know, whatever it is. And I think yeah. for me, that's probably what I would say is look kindly into the mirror because you know, if you know yourself, then you can. Mm-hmm. Keep doing mm-hmm. what you're doing, or you can change your behaviours, and then and then we can then we can start to interact with our other members of the household and with our children, and um, and do the best we can to navigate through through this amazing world that we have. Wow! Thanks, Joe. That's gold. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sports Parenthood. Please leave a review, share with your friends, or visit our website sportsparenthood.com.au to connect. Catch you next week.